This week in Revolt Black News. Government and companies, they're working to reopen, while black workers are more likely to be classified as essential workers, leaving us extra vulnerable to coronavirus. 30% of COVID patients are black, and almost 30,000 black lives have already been lost to this virus in our country alone. And the numbers are extra alarming when you consider we're only 13% of this nation's population. But see, our government disregards these numbers because they generally disregard us. See, that's why they don't care that we're more likely to have already lost a this pandemic and therefore more willing to go get another one, even though it's very dangerous. But see, the real danger is that these decisions are being made by businesses and corporations, not by us. See, professional sports, like the NFL, they're ready to restart. But keep in mind that 70% of those bodies on the field are black. So again, that's us on the front lines. Y'all, we are essential to the success of this nation. So we've got to dive into these numbers, these life and death numbers. Like, why are black women three times more likely to die in childbirth? See, we know our work. And while we know that the stakes are dire and deadly consequences lie with this disease, the government seems to think that's a risk worth willing to take. But the question in today's episode is, do we think that that's a risk that we are willing to take? Welcome to Revolt Black News. I'm your host, Ebony K. Williams. So today's episode is all about how Black folks are essential, not just as workers, but also as people. Now we gotta work, we gotta eat, we gotta pay the bills, we have to live. Listen, there's so much risk to all of that though during the physical and economic impact of COVID-19. So here to discuss with me, how much risk are we willing to take on as the culture is the mayor of Montgomery, Alabama, Stephen Reed. Welcome to the show, Mayor Reed. Okay, so Mayor Reed, here's my question. There is so much in the in the ethos, so much noise when it comes to COVID-19, Black communities, the openings of school this fall, the opening of sports this fall. Most folks don't even know what to believe anymore. So I want to keep this simple. We know for a fact that when we start opening up this fall uh, by way of schools and businesses and everything else, that people will get sick and people will die. And we know that we as Black folks will ultimately disproportionately be impacted as we have thus far. I'm trying to get to what the risk assessment looks like, Mr. Mayor, as you and your city council and your team talk about the risk of opening back up to health and physical well-being of your constituents versus the very real economic well-being. We know businesses are dying as well. So you've got Black essential workers on the front line taking a risk by reopening but not reopening presents a very real risk and economic detriment to the black entrepreneur. So Mr. Mayor, just talk us through this risk assessment and how you guys come to your determinations. Yeah, thanks again for, for having me, Ebony. I, you know, my thing is uh, the way we've approached this has been from a public health perspective, first, second, and last. Uh, it starts with the health of the community uh, over the, the wealth of the community. And one of the things that we've tried to do is to lead from the aspect of what makes the most sense to save lives uh, from the very beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. Not understanding how long this will be around, our approach has been priority one on addressing the needs that those that come in contact with our healthcare system, they have pre-existing conditions, and those that may have uh, come in contact uh, involuntarily with people that are uh, infected with COVID-19 may experience. And so I think that has to be our approach going into the fall, whether it's school reopenings 
whether it's uh, sporting events, whether it's how we conduct business um, and how we go about our everyday life, it's, it's different. And I think that what we're trying to do here in Montgomery is we're trying to make sure that uh, we take all the necessary precautions, that we err uh, on the side of being conservative in our approach to this, and that we continue to think about those who not only directly may be uh, exposed, but the indirect uh, impact of that. Their grandparents, their loved ones who have uh, pre-existing conditions, and those uh, young students and uh, kids who may not have the discipline to wear masks as much or may want to get together with friends in a group. And, and that's understandable. Uh, but from our standpoint, what we're trying to make sure we do is we continue to educate the public uh, about why wearing masks is helpful, uh, that we try to continue to promote social distancing, that we work with our community leaders and our faith leaders uh, to help us amplify the message. And very recently, we've gotten our medical professionals to come on and do PSAs and to help us out as well with social media campaigns to try to let them know what the doctor's orders are so that we can take this out of the realm of whether it's political or whether it's feasible and just put it in the realm of here's what we have to do in order to stay healthy and here's what we have to do ultimately to save lives. The reality is the mask, the social distancing, we, we, we pretty much know what we need to be doing, but here's the reality. When you start talking about a fall football uh, season for high school and or college sports, HBCUs um, and et cetera. You start talking about classroom uh, being filled with students, even with masks on. The social distancing aspect, it runs in direct conflict, right, with the reality of what some of the uh, the engagement that will be starting to reopen and reengage. That's the reality. So talk me through the analysis and, and how you are weighing this and ultimately what the decision um, has been because you guys, like most places, are starting to reopen. That's just the reality. And I just kind of want to hear a little bit more about what went into the decision. Well, first, you know, we wanted to get the advice of the medical experts. Um, we wanted to make sure that we were reviewing the data uh, and looking at um, not only what the experts were sharing with us, but what were the numbers telling us. And we thought that, again, keeping in line with making this a public health issue, number one, uh, that we needed to start every conversation from that standpoint. And so what we have done here is we've been guided by um, that uh, information from the very first day of this, uh, setting up our emergency operations center all the way through uh, executing an executive order uh, several weeks before uh, the governor did here in Alabama mandating uh, the use of masks. And so in, right. in talking to them, we tried to make sure. Actually, I want to ask that, you, I want to ask you specifically about that, Mr. Mayor, not to cut you off, because, you know, national headlines is that Mayor Keisha Bottoms in Atlanta is facing a lawsuit from her governor uh, about her trying to locally uh, mandate masks for Atlanta, Georgia, inside um, of the state who, who has a different of opinion. Can you talk a little bit about where you and your governor landed on the mask issue? Well, we wanted the governor to consider uh, doing things at a statewide or maybe a regional level. And what we were told by her administration was she was going to leave that decision up to local mayors to make, the, to, uh, make okay. that decision and to come up with those guidelines. Now, let me say this. You know, we live in a community where people are, are traveling in and out of the city of Montgomery because we're the regional capital of central Alabama as well as the state government capital. 
uh, here. So that was not the most effective uh, approach for me because I couldn't dictate what people were doing once they went across city uh, lines or county lines and things along those lines. So I really thought that if, if there was not going to be a state mandate, they should at least be more of a regional one. Mayor Stephen Reed, thank you for your time. Thank you for your insight. Before you leave us, are there resources that you would like to send people to if they have questions? Anybody having questions about what to do in this pandemic? What, what are a couple of places you can send them? Absolutely. You know, I start with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. You know, CDC.gov um, has a lot of good information uh, out there. So does the Johns Hopkins uh, Institute, along with Bloomberg Philanthropies, has some very good uh, information that, that they've been sharing. They've been accumulating a lot of the data uh, that they share with mayors across the country. Um, and then certainly here locally, we have our Alabama Department of Public Health, and I would encourage anyone to check their Department of Public Health page. There are a lot of good takeaways, a lot of good simple information that doesn't get caught up uh, in medical um, language that confuses people. Very simple and, and easy to follow. And then for us, uh, we're always looking for additional support for our businesses, especially our minority and black owned businesses. And so if you go to MGMready.com, that is our hub for all the information that we have for the community and then ways that people can support uh, our black businesses here in order to help keep them afloat. And for all they do, not only providing jobs, but for providing presence and hope um, in this environment, in this economy and in this community. Thank you, Mayor Reed, for your insight and for your leadership. Now we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back, we've got your headlines. But first, a word. We are essential. When I say we are essential, I am not talking about jobs. I am talking about this country. See, we built it, you profit. When we ache, you lie in comfort. When we lie awake, you sleep. When we die, you live. But who is really living? In this country, we are empowered. In this country, we are fighting. In this country, this is living. This is life. We can never die. We are living. We are life. We are essential. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. Here are your headlines. Now, Congress continues to work on another stimulus bill that would pay out $1,200 to qualified individuals. It also extends the eviction moratorium, but it does cut the $600 weekly unemployment benefit bump down to $200. One issue that's causing particular dissent within the Republican Party is the $1.7 billion allocated for a new FBI headquarters. And just hours after an agreement to withdraw federal agents from downtown Portland, protesters were again met with tear gas. Now this comes on the 62nd straight night of protest. And the funeral for the late great Congressman John Lewis took place today at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Now among those in attendance was President Obama who eulogized the civil rights icon. Revolt aired it, let's take a look. An American whose faith was tested again and again to produce a man of pure joy and unbreakable perseverance, John Robert Lewis. 
former CEO of Godfather's Pizza and overall successful businessman, Herman Cain passed away at the age of 74 from COVID-19. Cain was in attendance at Trump's Tulsa rally on June 20th, where he was seen without a mask, and he tested positive for the virus about one week later. Our condolences go out to the entire Cain family. And Joe Biden finally announced that he's going to appoint his female vice president next week. Now, many folks say it's going to be a black woman. Let's take a look. What I said was that I will, uh, I'm going to have a, a choice in the first week in August. And uh, I promise I'll let you know when I do. And adding fuel to that speculation is this photo op. Now, in it, it seems to capture Biden's notes, seemingly listing qualities and talking points for Kamala Harris. Now, they include do not hold grudges, talented, campaign with me and Jill, and great help to campaign. Now, I'm on record, even this month in Essence Magazine and definitely here on Revolt Black News, and saying, to me, it's not an option. Joe Biden has to select a black woman in his VP. Why? Because black women are essential to his candidacy. Black women are essential to the Democratic Party. Black women, particularly those in South Carolina, uh, brought this campaign back to life. And frankly, the base needs a reason to get out, stand in hours long lines and vote. It needs the energy. Joe Biden, this is an obvious choice. Put his sister on that ticket. And in a $1.7 billion effort across HBCUs and nonprofits, philanthropist Mackenzie Scott reportedly gave record donations to four different HBCUs. Howard received $40 million, Hampton received $30 million, Tuskegee received $20 million, and Xavier University received $20 million. And Morehouse and Spelman were also amongst others to receive Scott's very generous donations. And more donations go into good work. More Than a Vote, the organization co-founded by LeBron James, along with many other star athletes, has pledged to donate $100,000 to pay the required fines and fees for former felons so they can become eligible voters in the state of Florida. So this is indeed incredibly good work being done by LeBron and many others. But see, in this case, this is work that shouldn't have to be done. You see, the voters of Florida, they decided that they wanted to reinstitute voting rights for former felons. And then the Florida GOP decided that they thought it'd be a good idea to institute a modern day poll tax. See, that's where all those fees and fines come from in order for you to be able to vote. So while that's BS, a modern day poll tax, unacceptable, thank goodness for LeBron James and the work of many others to pay the fines, pay the fees, so that indeed the former felons of the state of Florida get to cast their ballot. And in music news, the next installment of Verses is set it's going to be Rick Ross versus 2 Chains. The showdown will take place on August 6th. And in sports. Now, while no cases of COVID have been reported in the NBA bubble, the MLB is reporting several cases. 16 players and two coaches from the Miami Marlins have tested positive, forcing a pause in their season. Also, the Nationals, the Yankees, and Phillies have all had to postpone games due to coronavirus cases. All right, we've got more Revolt Black news on the way after a quick break. When we come back, we've got Kasim Famoyita and Ariel Chambers joining to talk all things sports. Now, first, we want to say a very special RIP to Malik Abdul-Bassett. Malik B. passed away at the age of 47. Malik B. was a founding member of The Roots. We send all our love and prayers to his many loved ones. Rest in power. We are dedicating this season to Breonna Taylor, an outstanding EMT who was murdered over 130 days ago in her home. 
guys don't understand unless you <laughs> unless you're a person of color you guys don't understand i understand that you might feel feel for it but you can never really uh, truly understand what it is to be black uh in america so a lot of people kind of use this analogy talking about black lives matter as a movement it's not a, it's not a movement like when you're black it's not a movement it's, it's a lifestyle Cloud going right going left at the horn I've heard the word dramatic a lot over the last week and nothing has made me more mad. People going out and peaceful protesting is not dramatic because this affects their lives. I was born a black man and I know one day I'll die a black man, but I don't want to die because I'm a black man. As a mother, you would never want that to happen to your child. And then also, you know, as an African-American woman, just personally. So I think it's so important for young girls and young boys and adults, men, women, whatever, to see our game today and to see what we played for and to see what we're going to be playing for the rest of the season. I got pulled over on 495. The officer asked me to step out of the vehicle. He comes up to me and says, what if I fuck your Monday and put you on a headline? Our killers haven't been arrested. Our murderers haven't been arrested, so we're calling for for, for the former police officers involved to, to be arrested for the murder of Breonna Taylor. Equality is not just a word, it's our right. Today, we are one. Black women who are so often forgotten in this fight for justice, who do not have people marching in the streets for them, we will say her name. Sandra Bland, Atiana Jefferson, Dominique Remy Fells, and Breonna Taylor. We will be a voice for the voiceless. What's poppin' people? What's going on? My name is Kaz. I'm here with the lovely and talented Ariel Chambers to discuss some of the biggest sports headlines this week. Now, finally, real deal sports are back, and we were kicked off with the WNBA season this past Saturday. And of course, they did what they always do, and that's use their voice to bring truth to power and lead by example. As you can tell, that former MVP, Breonna Stewart, dedicating the season to Breonna Taylor on behalf of the entire WNBA. So, Ariel, I would love to throw it to you. What do you think of the WNBA's premiere this week? I just think it's expected with a league, 80% black women, you know, always carrying on our backs anyway. But this is a, a league of women that have been leading the initiative for social justice for the past four years now. They started with I Can't Breathe. They made statements back when they were risked getting fined $1,500 each for it. So we just love to see them come together and just stand up for what's right. The NBA, obviously, is kicking things off today, I guess the, the time that this airs, uh, with their restart <laughs> as well. Um, so, Ariel, man, it's a whole lot going on. There's 22 teams playing. It's an eight-game run before the postseason. It's, I feel like at, given everything going on around other sports and sports leagues, the NBA seems like they, they kind of got this under control, right? It's, it's a protected bubble now. So outside of the two, like, you know, slip-ups where the players are just acting a fool, I'm just kidding. They're, they're not. But, like, I, I just feel like, <laughs> I hope it's not too much stress on the men um, playing and trying to, you know, stay healthy because health is a big factor. They better hope they don't get injured because if you fly in a player, that's a 10 to 14 day quarantine. So yeah. it's just a matter of keeping all the players healthy and not injured. Uh, a letter from the coalition 
addressed the NBA as, quote, the plantation, saying they are claiming, however, that league support for Black Lives Matter is false, given the failure to have Black employee representation resemble the Black athlete number. It also goes on to mention pay and promotion gaps within the organization and unfair treatment for women. Now, do you have thoughts on the NBA being called a plantation? I think that disruption like that needs to happen so that forward movement can be a result of it. So change is is a direct result of disruption. So I think that a lot of times people have been very comfortable in their bubble and not, no pun intended, and, and not have had to look in the mirror, have not had, yeah. had to look in the mirror in the past. And so now when we have the Black Lives Matter movement actually resonating with everybody, women are feeling empowered, Black people are feeling empowered. And that shouldn't be something to be feared if you're doing right. So I think that it just gives them the chance to make it right. What is to come after this, man? What's next? Like, what is a a mission accomplished for an athlete right now? The absolute first step is arrest the cops that killed Breonna Taylor. I mean, I don't know how many times we we can say that, but I think that that's, I mean, let's just start there. It trickles down to so many facets, right? Where Black people feel comfortable and empowered in the workplace. That would be another step in the right direction where athletes don't get told to shut up and dribble that would be another step in the right direction when there are more people in the more blacks in the c-suite that would be a step in the right direction complete police reform that i mean that that is just so necessary right now that i don't even think that there's a, a way around it the prison pipeline that i mean i went to tulsa oklahoma uh, three years ago and, and just saw the hurt of these people serving 10-year sentences for a first-time drug offense um, can't even visit that. Like this woman couldn't even visit her son because she didn't have enough money to go there. It was only a hundred dollars. We were like, we'll give this to you now. Oh. Just seeing that discrepancy, it was just chilling. Education. There are so many layers that Black people are so disenfranchised. But it all starts with arresting the cops that killed Breonna Taylor. And that's it for this conversation in sports. Thank you to the lovely and talented Ariel Chambers for joining me. I'm Kaz. Hope to be back soon. Peace out. All right, welcome back to Revolt Black News. Now we're going to get into this week's Black Excellence in Entertainment. We've got another special guest for you. Now, she's an entertainment journalist. She is the co-creator and co-host of the Black Girls Podcast. Welcome to the show, Ms. Gia Peppers. Hi. All right, so we just finished up our sports combo, but now we're going to look at the intersection of sports and entertainment. Rich Paul, founder of Clutch Sports, was named to United Talent Agency's Board of Directors. Now, Paul is also head of UTA Sports and also longtime agent to LeBron James. All right, what do we think about this, Gia? We know uh, Rich Paul is really running the show when it comes to all things Black athletes and entertainment. Absolutely. Rich Paul is unstoppable, unshakable, and it's so cool to see his career just thrive in the way it has since he and LeBron started taking over the league. I think in 2012, he was uh, at UTA and, you know, a, an agent and people were counting him out. And when he left to do clutch sports, um, you know, at, people always had doubted him in his entire career. And now to see him at as this head of sports who literally has rules made after him, we all remember the Rich Paul rule where they literally tried yeah. to make sure that agents had to go to college in order to work with uh, D1 athletes. And so, you know, the man is is not to be played with. And I they love it. Yeah, they tried. Yeah. 
And I love the yeah. way that he's been able to continuously flourish, continuously push the idea that you don't have to follow any rules. You can create your own lane. As long as you work hard, you show up with integrity and you understand the power in your own voice, especially as a black young man in the sports arena, mm -hmm. uh, you will be fine. And I love Rich Paul. I'm a major fan yeah. of his. More than fine, right? I love it too, Gia, because I think traditionally we know that what an athlete's agent looks like has traditionally been older, white, and male. So for Rich yeah. Paul to really interrupt the game this way, absolutely, being a young brother, uh, really stepping up with leadership and breaking the mold as to what this thing even looks like. So proud of yeah. him. So happy to see him at the top. Comedian and former SNL star Leslie Jones hosted the Emmy nominations on Tuesday. Now she had the help of a couple of big time celebrities, including Laverne Cox, who I love. So many black nominees this year and actually not quite enough time. So we want to just shout out the incredible Issa Rae and the entire cast of Insecure for their Emmy nod with Outstanding Comedy Series. Indeed, Gia, you know we are loving this, right? Yes, it's about time. I can't believe it took almost five seasons for Insecure to finally be a part of this Emmy list, but it's so great to see Issa, the cast. Uh, they really went out all out this season and it shows. Indy, I mean, everybody was talking about the Molly, Issa drama, um, but it was really deep. And I think it allowed a lot of us, Gia, right, to look at our own friendships with some of our girlfriends and really look at um, have they just run their course? And I think that was a real ass conversation. And I'm glad to see mm -hmm. the Emmys as a whole acknowledging that. And as Issa Rae always says, right, we rooting for everybody black. I know that's right. Everybody <laughs> black. And HBO continuing the good news. They're gifting $1 million to Howard University, all to help with students that are interning in LA and New York, pay for their living and travel expenses. That is huge, right? Along with the support of Tanahishi Coates, Camilla Forbes, and Susan Kalichi Watson, the effort is being named the Coates, Forbes, Watson, HBO Dream Seekers Endowed Fellowship. How incredible is this? Now we know, Gia, living in New York and LA is not cheap. This is gonna be a Look. huge help, right? You know, it is, it's going to change the game. I think, first of all, I'm from DC. I grew up on Howard's campus. My mom is a Howard grad, my sister went to Howard. And so it means so much to see HBO continuously pour into the students there because a lot of those students are the game changers. We, Debbie Allen also has a scholarship there that literally to Raji P. Henson, Chadwick Boseman, uh, so many people have come out of Howard and have taken over entertainment. So this is going to literally propel the next creators to also do the same thing. So HBO is 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 putting their money where their mouth is. I'm so happy to see that from all of the social justice movements we've seen, uh, corporations do a lot of tweeting and posting and saying they're for Black right. Lives. But HBO is showing it and putting that money in, in, the, in the investment in our community. And I think it's so beautiful to see. I agree, G. Everybody's, you know, tweeting and on social media, but to see, see the money and see the money going where it needs to go. I got to tell you, G. Yeah. sometimes I see people making these big checks and I'm curious. I wonder who's actually getting the money here. We know exactly who's getting it right. Like you said, the future dream makers, storytellers and gatekeepers of tomorrow getting much needed financial support when it comes to trying to get your brick break in L.A. and New York, astronomically expensive cities. This yeah. is going to be a game changer. And of course, the queen of all things media, Miss Oprah Winfrey, launched a new show for Apple TV called The Oprah Conversation. Now, the series premiered with a timely interview with best-selling author and professor Ibram X about social justice. Obviously, when Oprah does something in the game, it's a game changer. What do we think? 
I am so happy to see the queen of all things television return to our television screens. And, you know, I'm excited to see what Apple is able to offer here because we're used to seeing her on primetime, daytime, daily talk shows. And now the industry has changed so much that you have to have a streaming service behind you to really make change. We saw it with the 260 nominations Netflix got this year for Emmys. Like you have to have a streaming network behind you. So I'm excited to see what Oprah is able to do because her her voice is necessary. We have so much lack of leadership these days, literally from the White House down. We know how powerful Oprah that. is. You know, Obama literally went on her show and always credits their relationship to a lot of what pushed him over the edge. All so I'm at this first. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So I'm excited to see, you know, I know we're going to get an Uncle Joe interview. I hope he can keep it together cuz we need him to do well. We need to get, you know, to the to the it's under 100 days until the election. So I think Oprah understands the importance of this moment. I'm excited excited to see what she does with this. I am too, G. You know, for me Oprah is is the reason that we get to do this as black girls and black women, right? Um our Amen. ability to show up in in this way. Oh, it's so true. And this generation um, that that is really now experiencing her for the first time. I totally agree with you, G. They need to really see the master of the art do what she does best. I am so excited that Oprah is is bringing her interviewing skills to Apple TV. It's going to be a treat. I'm looking forward to it. All right, Gia. Listen, you were fantastic. Thank you so much for helping out with this week's Black Excellence and Entertainment. You got to come back, sis. Now we're going to take a quick break, but stick around because we're talking about the racial differences in maternal mortality. You don't want to miss this imperative convo. We've got more Revolt Black news after this. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. Now, as we continue today's episode, which is all about how we as Black folk are essential, we have to discuss Black mothers because who among us is more essential than those who give us life? Now, when Serena Williams and Beyonce and many more bravely talk about their near-death experiences bringing their babies into this world, y'all, we have to listen, not just to their stories, but to the statistics. See, some reports say that Black women are four to five times more likely to die in childbirth than their white counterparts. Now, y'all, if that doesn't ring your alarm, it should, because this must stop. So helping us understand why this is happening and what we all need to do to stop it is doula Latham Thomas. Thanks for joining Latham. Thank you so much for having me, Ebony. So this is such a critically important conversation. We've heard Serena Williams speak about it. We've heard, of course, Beyonce speak about it. And that is the reality that when black women deliver children into this world, they are not entirely safe. Many of them are, um, ultimately facing death even, um, them and for their children. So tell us a little bit about why this is the case, even when it controls for education and income levels, black women die more often in childbirth. Yeah, so we've been on a 25 year increase in black maternal deaths in this country. And for us to be in the year 2020 and in a country that spends more money per capita on healthcare, um, which is supposed to deliver the best insurance. This is the most dangerous place in the developed world to actually have a baby. And it's alarming because, as you already mentioned, black women are four to five times more likely than white women to die during childbirth or due to childbirth-related causes. Um, these, these numbers, for people to understand, um, if you're in a place like New York City, that number jumps to eight to 12 times more likely the risk. And so what it means is that 
you know, we're in a situation where black women are actually in a state of emergency. The mere fact that that we are black women, literally our race and experiencing lives that have to deal with racism and the stresses that come with being black in this country leads to this mortality. Can you connect those dots? Yes. So what that looks like when we expand it, right, is that the lived experience of race in this country um, creates stress factors for people, right? So mm. it's not just um, entering into the hospital setting. It is not just birth that we're talking about. We're talking about forces that are working on our bodies and systems that are working against us before we're even born. We have to seek to um, make sure that there's safety in birth, right? So what does that look like? We have to explore out of hospital birth options. We have to also look like look at um, educating more midwives of color, more black midwives, making sure there's more access, create um, reducing the barrier of access for people, making sure that people have access to doulas who can help them with education and advocacy and support through the birth process, right? So it means many things, but certainly it's not something that can't be done. I think the problem here is that it's not a priority. A doula can offer uh, educational support, physical support, um, partner support if there's a partner present, advocacy tools for you to navigate the birth process, and is really there to help you to, almost like a producer for your birth, right? Figuring out all the aspects right. of what you want that experience to be and making sure that you have the skill sets to navigate that process and feel confident on the journey. Latham, thank you so much for just giving us this enriching and valuable information. We appreciate you and your time. All right, so now we want to continue this important conversation from another perspective. We're here with Charles Johnson, whose wife, Kira Johnson, tragically lost her life during childbirth. But now Charles runs an organization in her name, For Kira, For Moms. Charles, we appreciate you joining. So, yeah, when we talk about uh, Kira, she truly was sunshine personified, right? We're talking about a woman who raced cars, who spoke five languages fluently, who had her pilot's license, who was an avid skydiver. Throughout Kira's entire pregnancy, she was not only in good health, but exceptional health. All signs pointed to both Kira and our new baby Langston being extremely healthy. And so we went into Cedars-Sinai for what was expected to be a routine scheduled C-section and ended up walking right into a nightmare. And so after the delivery, they took us back to the recovery. Those in your audience who may not be familiar with cesarean delivery, it is still delivery, but it is major abdominal surgery as well. So they took us back to recovery. And as we're sitting there in recovery, I'm just sitting there just soaking it all in, right? This pride of being a father for the second time. And as I'm sitting there just soaking all this in, Kira's in the bed resting, Langston is resting in the little um, bassinet. And as I look down by Kira's bedside, I begin to see the catheter coming from her bedside begin to turn pink with blood, right? Mm. Now, this is around four o'clock in the afternoon. So I bring it to the attention of the doctors and the nurses at Cedar sinai At this point, they come in, they assess Kira, they examine her, and they did a couple of things. They um, examined her physically, they did blood work, but very importantly, they ordered a CT scan that was supposed to be performed STAT, right? Okay. And when they said STAT, I took that to mean, and what that should mean is immediately, right? So the blood work comes back, it's abnormal. Um, they do an ultrasound, they can see that her abdomen is beginning to fill with fluid or blood. Um, and they examine her, she's very sensitive to the touch, but the CT scan hasn't come yet. 
Now, by seven o'clock, Kira is shivering uncontrollably, right? She's in excruciating pain. And I'm still saying to the staff and the doctors at Cedars, hey, look, we need help. They said they were taking her back for CT scan. And now they're saying, well, we may need to take her back for surgery. And I'm saying, okay, still haven't taken any action. Eight o'clock comes, still no CT scan. Nine o'clock comes, still haven't taken her back for surgery still haven't taken her back for a CT scan. And around nine o'clock, I just finally pulled one of the nurses to the side from Cedar sinai I grabbed her by both of her hands and I looked her in her eyes and said, please, my wife is here, she's not doing well. She's been suffering for hours and nobody has done anything, please help us. This woman looked me right in my eyes and said, sir, your wife just isn't a priority right now. I, I, I've read that in your story, Charles, and I just have to stop you for one second. And yeah, it's when I say unbelievable, it's unbelievable, right? It's yeah. unbelievable that anybody yeah. among us could be in a medical institution, least of all one to the status of Cedar sinai and a Correct. nurse, a professional medical um, expert would a caregiver would say to you, your wife is not a priority. How, how did that how did that feel? How did that even register when you heard her say that? So the key word that you said is caregiver, right? Mm-hmm. And the reality of the situation that's so unfortunate, oftentimes, particularly for people of color, more so for black people specifically, and even more over yes. for African-American women, is that all care is not quality care, particularly mm-hmm. when there is a failure to connect that care with compassion. Does that make sense? And so that's where we are falling short. We're seeing systematic failures. We're seeing institutional level failures. We're seeing failures in policy and procedure, but more than anything, the thing that's consistent, particularly with these stories that we're hearing about African-American women is there was a failure of compassion and fundamental human decency to see these women and value them in the same way that they would their mother, their sister, their daughter, their wife. And that's where the American medical institution is failing black women time and time again. Charles, thank you so much for your heartfelt story and all the incredible work that you're doing. Okay, now we're gonna hear from Dr. Kendra Segura about all the work that she's doing in her community as an OBGYN. Hey, what's up everybody? Uh, My name is Dr. Kendra Segura. You might recognize me from Married to Medicine Los Angeles on Bravo. And today I'm here to talk about racial disparities and what I've seen as an OBGYN. There's actual studies that have shown that uh, black women in America, pregnant women, actually are three times more likely to go into preterm labor. And they looked at factors such as socioeconomic status, um, education, that that involves education level, how much money you make, and also um, if you have, um, who's in the household, if you feel safe in the home. What they found is that when you're stressed out, and that could be stress from maybe you don't feel safe at home, maybe you don't have the support like the father of the baby, or maybe you're in a crowded um, area environment living situation where you're just not getting what you need as a pregnant woman, you can't ask for help. What they found was that increase in cortisol levels. So cortisol is a hormone that's released when we're stressed. Going back to fight or flight, right? So when you're stressed or when you're 
um, trying to look for food or if you're homeless or if your phone gets cut off or you lose your job because you're pregnant, you get stressed out. You get stressed out and that increases cortisol levels. And they, they've said that, that the reason why babies are delivered earlier as preemies is because of the cortisol level. So there are studies with that. And um, this is some of the cultural factors that we see in America. And actual racism and discrimination causes an increase in cortisol level. And um, it goes back to supporting the black woman. And in America, I feel that, you know, being a woman, you know, it's tough because sometimes you're not heard or you're overlooked and then when you're a woman of color you know a lot of people tend to discredit you in certain situations and so that alone and then you're not having anybody to advocate for you causes stress my advice to black mothers black pregnant mommies during this COVID pandemic is no problem is too small so right now across america telehealth is covered by medicare medi-cal so what does that mean? Telehealth are telephone appointments, they're video appointments. So you do not need to come in to see the doctor. So what does that mean? That means if you have a question, now you can make an appointment and talk to a healthcare provider. So because of COVID, um, I just don't want anybody to sit at home and if you're having symptoms, shortness of breath, or you feel sick, if you're unsure, you know, before that this pandemic happened, a lot of telehealth was not covered by insurances. And unfortunately, they weren't covered for those who have Medicare, Medi-Cal. So there are blessings in tragedy. And because of this COVID pandemic, guess what? Everybody gets telehealth. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this important talk. Thanks for hanging out with me, Dr. Kendra Segura. And please, you guys, wear a mask stay safe, social distance. You know what? This pandemic cannot last forever, even though it seems like it. But just remember, we're all in it together. And please, please stay safe. All right, y'all. Today was a lot. But we have to go just a little bit further because when I say we are essential, what I'm saying is that we are a priority. And so we have to let these insurance companies know that Black health is a priority as well. So listen, go to the link below and sign that petition. People who lose their jobs typically are eligible for something called COBRA insurance. But y'all, it's extremely expensive with monthly costs averaging 633 bucks a month. Black folks are facing layoffs and health insurance implications more than anybody else. And we shouldn't have to also face the financial burdens of outrageous health insurance. Y'all, it's inhumane. COBRA has to stop taking our money because this pandemic is already taking our lives. So again, sign that petition because we are essential. For Revolt Black News, I'm Ebony K. Williams. See you next time.